Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. So as you might know, we are continuing our five-part conversation on our gospel proclamation. Actually, I just turned this into a six-part conversation. I'm going to do a follow-up week at the end. Uh, and and what, uh, what it means for all of us to live into our identity as created, loved, rescued, forgiven, and free. We say that to you every week, and I've been telling you, I've been reminding you that I want this to get stuck in your head. Created, loved, rescued, forgiven, and free. Right? We want it to mark you. I've been telling you, I want you to remember it like you do your first home phone number. Created, loved, rescued, forgiven, and free. This is who you are. And these last three identifiers, rescued, forgiven, and free, uh, these are about our salvation by God. These are about God's saving love in our lives, rescued, forgiven, and free. And last week we looked at uh, our identities as a rescued people, about what it means to acknowledge our need for rescue and then to actually accept the rescue when it comes. And today we're going to have a conversation about being and living forgiven. And, um, it's going to be a little dense, okay? So I'm just warning you. Uh, sometimes my sermons are pretty feel-good and light, and sometimes they're a little more dense, and today is a little more dense. So um, if you feel like you're not following along, that's okay. Um, I'm happy to get coffee with you. We also have some books available. So uh, we have this great book. We've recommended it lots of times. It's a, it has a lot of content that we'll cover today. So if you're interested in this book, let me know. We can get you a copy. Um, or if you totally disagree, that's okay too. We don't have to agree about everything. Uh, but just buckle in. It's a little heavier today. So for most of my Christian journey, I've put these two ideas together. Forgiveness and the cross of Christ. Does that sound familiar to you? Because there are all these verses that seem to speak to those ideas being put together. For divine forgiveness and the cross of Christ. Like Galatians chapter 1, it says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, For what I have received, I have passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. Or the popular verse from the Romans Road, Romans 5, 8, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Crucifixion and forgiveness. The death of Jesus has been largely uh, equated and connected to the forgiveness of God. Crucifixion and forgiveness. I wonder if that sounds right to you. But in the last few years, as I've gotten more comfortable asking really difficult questions about my own belief system, I started questioning this connection between divine forgiveness and divine violence. Between forgiveness and crucifixion. Because if Jesus had to die to forgive us, then who killed Jesus? And was that particular death required? Like was crucifixion required for our forgiveness? Or could it have just been an accident? Jesus was a carpenter after all. If he had a shop accident, would that death of God have meant forgiveness for us? Or did it have to be a torturous death that forgave us? And was torture actually required in order for God to forgive us? And if Jesus had to die for God to forgive us, then was it God who killed Jesus? And are we saved by God or are we saved from God? 
And if Jesus was required as a payment, if a payment was involved, was it actually forgiveness at all? And if Jesus received what we deserve, do we actually really all agree that we all, everyone, deserves to be punished in a torturous crucifixion kind of way? Right? There has to be a more coherent and less retributive way to understand God's divine forgiveness. Divine forgiveness has to be more than just the appeasement of a wrathful deity. I'll say it again. Divine forgiveness has to be about more than just the appeasement of a wrathful deity. Jesus speaks to divine forgiveness in one of his most famous parables. Uh, I know many of you know it. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the story about a family. There was a father who had two sons, and the younger son asked for his share of the inheritance before anyone had passed away. So he says, I, I know you're going to owe me this money when you die. Could I just get it now? And the father does it. He splits up his money, gives the money to the younger son. And as expected, the younger son squanders all the wealth almost immediately. He ends up feeding pigs. And even as a devout Jew, he's envying what the pigs are eating. And so he makes a plan to go back home. He devises this plan and he even writes an apology speech for his dad. So here's, here's what I'm going to say when I get home. Here's what I'm going to say to my dad. This is his apology. Apology speech, speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sin, sinned against you and I am no longer worthy to be your son. So he devises this plan to go back home. He writes his apology speech. And then in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 20, it says, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer to be... I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me one young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property on prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you were always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I know a lot of you know the story. It's a beautiful story. And this gives us a picture of divine forgiveness that is so much more than just the appeasement of a wrathful deity. I want to point out a couple things. So the son had this speech. It's a good speech. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. And I'm no longer to be uh, worthy to be your son. But the father cuts off these apology speech. And he says, bring the best, bring the best. And the reason he didn't have to finish that long confession was because he was already forgiven. From the moment the father laid eyes on the son, he had already forgiven him. No contrition or confession required. 
deservedness isn't a part of the forgiveness equation. So the father didn't say, would you mind listing off all the things you did wrong so that I could decide how much you deserve? Sure, I want to celebrate you, but maybe not with the robe and the fat and calf. Could you, could you list your sins to me and we'll decide? There was no conversation of deservedness or worthiness. The father cuts him off and says, we have to celebrate. Deservedness is not a part of the equation. And the older brother, the, the older brother is uh, upset. And that makes sense. It's logical. What the older brother wants is he wants this younger son, he wants his brother to have to pay for this. Right? He, he, he spent all his dad's money. He really messed up. He wants there to have he wants there to be some, some payment. But if a payment is required, then it isn't forgiveness. It's a transaction. Forgiveness never requires a payment, especially not divine forgiveness. Right? This is the kingdom of God. This story right here. You are already forgiven. Already, right now. As soon as the Father lays eyes on you, already forgiven. No confession or contrition required. And your deservedness is not a part of the equation. Your worthiness is not considered in the decision to, con to forgive you. And our God isn't transactional, so there has never and there will never be a payment required. You owe no debt. There is no score. There is no payoff. Nothing is required. You are already forgiven. That's divine forgiveness. We live with no debts. We live forgiven. But for many of us, we, we were given a, a picture of forgiveness that fits inside a model of atonement called penal substitutionary atonement. And maybe that's a new phrase for you today. And if it is, I'm sorry for the rabbit hole I'm about to send you on again. Uh, we have this book for you if you want to get into it. Okay, penal substitutionary atonement. And uh, substitutionary atonement is a, a, one of a handful of atonement theories that have been popularized. And if you're wondering about just what atonement means, you can kind of just look at the word at one meant. These are theories about how we get back to be at one with God. This is about how we get reconciled back to God. It's our at, at one meant with God. And most of us were taught a version of substitutionary atonement, of penal substitutionary atonement. And this theory says that Christ, by his own sacrificial choice, was punished in the place of humans. That's the substitute part. Thus satisfying the demands of justice so that God could forgive our sins. And the demands of justice, think the penal system. This is a, a legal setting where someone has to be punished. And so by his own choice, Jesus is punished in the place of humans, thus satisf satisfying the demands of justice. And th this commonly accepted teaching it reaffirms a very narrow notion of retributive justice and reaffirms good, the idea that there can be good and necessary violence. It also implies that God the Father was petty, uh, offended in the same way that humans are offended, and unfree to love and forgive on his own volition. This understanding of reconciliation with God, it starts with God needing, needing to pour out his wrath on something that God just all pent up with wrath. And then God wanting to pour out his wrath on you and I. But instead, God accepts the substitute of Jesus 
on behalf of all of humanity forever. In very simple terms, the narrative I was given, even as a very young child, was this. God is upset with you because of your sins. Well, first, all of you have sinned. doesn't matter what your situation is. Every single one of you, from the moment you were, bo- you were born, you were sinful. And God is upset with you because of those sins. And you deserve punishment because of those sins. So you're sinful whether you made a decision or not. God is upset because of those sins. And you deserve punishment. But Jesus was crucified on your behalf so that you aren't punished. And if you believe in Jesus, then when God looks at you, he won't see the sin he wants to punish. He'll see the sacrifice of Jesus. Other common language inside of this theory of substitutionary atonement would be phrases like, Jesus paid a debt. Uh, Our sin held Jesus on the cross. God's justice demanded a sacrifice. And my problem with this system of thinking, my primary problem is that it isn't forgiveness. It is a divine transaction. It is an equation. It is the balancing of scales, sure, but it is not forgiveness because forgiveness never requires a payment. Forgiveness is not the payment of a debt. Forgiveness is the gracious cancellation of a debt. If a payment is involved, it is not forgiveness. It is a transaction. And forgiveness never calculates deservedness. There's not a cosmic balance sheet weighing your worthiness. Divine forgiveness has to be about more than just appeasing a wrathful deity. I believe that Jesus' death on the cross is a revelation of the infinite and participatory love of God. Not some, bloody, not some bloody payment required by God's offended justice to rectify the problem of sin. God doesn't pour out his wrath on Jesus at the cross. God absorbs the anger, fear, and violence of humanity. And through the death and resurrection, God absorbs that anger, fear, and violence, and he transforms it into healing, mercy, grace, and love. The cross of Christ is the end of sacrifice. It is not a justification for violence, not the appeasement of a vengeful deity. The cross is the holy reminder that God has already forgiven us. There was never a scorekeeper, never a payment required, never a calculation of our deservedness. This was the work of human systems, not the work of God's wrath. In Christ, we have a new way of organizing the world. No longer blame and ritual killing. Instead, it's forgiveness and it's healing. Like the younger son welcomed home, we, you and I, are already forgiven. This is what living forgiven is about, realizing that you owe no debt because you are already forgiven. So for you, does this challenge a way of thinking for you? Maybe this is a lot to kind of take in all at once, but have you thought of divine forgiveness uh, as being connected to a payment? I need coffee after all that. Have you thought of divine forgiveness being connected to a divine payment? Do you you think of your forgiveness uh, by God as being connected to someone having to pay for that? And how do you think that's impacted your view of God? If you think God requires a payment, then you probably think he's pretty retributive. It's an eye for an eye. Do you think of God as vengeful? Do you think he has a bunch of pent-up wrath? And then how much of that view have you internalized to be a part of your own identity? That you owe a debt. That who you are isn't worthy. 
I just wonder how much time you spend apologizing, just in your life. Maybe that could help you know how much you've internalized this way of seeing yourself. Right? That's the deal with the younger son in the story of the prodigal son. Right? He's just apologizing from the start. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm not worthy. I just wonder how much we do that in our lives. Maybe it's because you've internalized some of this narrative. And then what would it look like for you to live forgiven? Right? I think there is so much freedom. I'm going to be done with the coffee now. I think there is so much freedom in realizing that no one is keeping score. There is so much freedom in accepting that there is no cosmic scorekeeper. Right? The Bible says it in phrases like this, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, or as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. If there isn't a heavenly accountant, then you can close out that tab in your brain. You don't have to keep score on yourself. You don't have to keep score on anyone else. You are forgiven. And so is your partner and your roommate and your boss. The world lives forgiven with no debts, no score. Close out the tab in your brain. What kind of freedom might that bring? Right? If it's real forgiveness, it never requires a payment. It never calculates deservedness or worthiness. Listen, you owe no debt because you are already forgiven. So I, I take uh, a lot of one-on-one -on -one meetings as a part of my job, meetings with you, people outside the community, get to check in. And uh, there's a common thread uh, that I either hear or pick up on from folks, and especially folks who have grown up in these religious spaces and have this kind of retributive payoff system of forgiveness. And the common thread with folks who have grown up in these systems is this. Uh, they don't like themselves very much. The thread in these meetings is just shame, 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 shame. It's just the younger son over and over again. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Right? Self-loathing is kind of baked in to a lot of our religious experiences. It's not only uh, taught to us, it's reinforced over and over again as good behavior. Right? We're, taught from the bad, we're taught that we're bad from the very beginning, that we can't trust ourselves and that our emotions will fail us. And we're taught that God, the creator of the universe of all things, wants to pour out his wrath on us. That God thinks we deserve punishment. And if that's what you've been taught, if that's what you've internalized, there is no surprise if you struggle with self-acceptance and self-compassion. And we often apply that self-loathing to our ideas of forgiveness. Maybe you've thought or said out loud or heard someone say something like, Wow, God is so good for forgiving a screw-up like me. And I've told you this before, and I want to be just as clear as I can. I'll look as much right at you as I can today. Jesus did not come to change God's mind about you. Jesus came to change our minds about God because God has never, not once, from before time itself was measured, before he laid the foundations of the earth to this moment, right now, God has never, not once, needed to change his mind about you. God has only and ever had one posture, one movement, one feeling towards you. It has been overwhelming love and kindness. God has never needed to change his mind about you.
You can accept your forgiveness because you are already forgiven. From the moment the Father lays eyes on you, you are forgiven. There was never a debt. There was never a score, never a payoff. No one is weighing your worthiness or calculating your deservedness. You belong to God from eternity to eternity. And so gather, this is my prayer for us today. Live forgiven, not because a vengeful deity was appeased, but because you have always and only been treasured by the giver of all things. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.